morning, everybody. I'm Kim. I'm so glad you're here with us. Isn't the music of Christmas such a blessing to lift us up? Yeah, and I'm excited this morning to get to share with you about that moment when the angel spoke to the shepherds and said, joy, joy for all of us. And, you know, joy is a word that we hear so much at Christmas time that it could just be kind of be a buzzword. I even brought my cup that says joy this morning. It's kind of everywhere, isn't it? And it means so little unless we stop and think about the real source of joy and what that is. I looked online for some books about joy, and here are some of the titles I found, okay? First, I found The Joy of Cooking. Mmm, yeah, I love you cooks. My husband is the best. So grateful. And then, of course, there's The Joy of Mathematics. Yeah, obviously a work of fiction, right? <laughs> then there was this one, Spark Joy. This is all the rage for some of us. Getting organized is what this author is writing about. She says, what you need to do is look closely at every item you own. You hold it up and you ask yourself, does this bring me joy? And if it doesn't, you get rid of it. <laughs> this week, Ron got rid of our cat. Just kidding. <laughs> no, actually, he's getting much sweeter at the, with the cat. My mother visited recently from Florida, and she actually commented to me on how sweet Ron is being with a cat. That's a sign of a transformed man, isn't it? Yes. So let's find out what the Bible has to say this morning about joy. So if you would, would you grab your Bible if you brought it and grab these notes that were in your program? It looks like this. And a pen, so we can all hang together this morning. Now, if you don't own a Bible, we hope that you're going to stop by in the lobby and grab yourself one as our gift to you. But we're going to start out, well, if we're going to end up in Luke 2 and John 17, for those of you who like to look at the scriptures. But we're going to start this morning by reading together from the screen our theme verse that we've been appreciating out of the message version. Eugene Peterson put it into such understandable language. I'd like you to read it out loud with me. Are you ready? Go. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. Oh, I just love how tangible that verse is for us. Would you take your pen, though, and underline the words, the word became flesh and blood? Now, I'm going to ask you as we go along this morning to underline some words that we're going to come back to at the end, so be ready for that, okay? But notice how tangible this word neighborhood is, how Jesus moved in. He came close, and that's where we got the idea for our whole series. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood when heaven came to earth. And you know, recently, when the tragedy struck our neighbor community of paradise with the fire, there was such a disconnect for me that I just uh, couldn't imagine talking with you today about joy. It's very possible that someone that's here this morning or maybe watching online has had your life turned upside down by that tragedy or maybe some very personal tragedy. It was just Friday that for the first time in our church's history, we got three reports of people loved ones in our membership who have passed away just 
Friday. And now we're grieving with three families suddenly. And you know, grief and sorrow and loss can come on us like a firestorm, can't it? We, we, we don't know when it's coming. So maybe, like I felt, maybe you're feeling like we just need to skip over joy this Christmas. But I asked God, how could I talk with you about joy when I wasn't feeling it? And you know what helped me was to remember that when God sent his son into our neighborhood and he came close, he was called Emmanuel, God with us. And you know, he's not only with us by having put on an earth suit, but he's with us in our feelings, in our sorrow, in our confusion, and in our anger. And I found that when I was honest with God, that he met me. And so I want to ask gently this morning, invite you, if you would maybe do what I did, um, and start by considering with me this new definition for joy. I got this from a, a message that Ron preached here before, and this is how it goes. Joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life, the quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right, and the determined choice to praise God in all things. Joy is a choice? That's a mouthful for some of us this morning. That may be hard for you to accept, but can I ask you to just ask God to help you listen this morning, even if, if the possibility of joy seems so far away for you. And maybe you can be open, like I was, to hear what the angel was saying to these shepherds who lived in a very dark time in history and had a really dark set of circumstances, too. So I'm going to begin reading for you from Luke chapter 2. We heard some of it already. It goes, That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them. Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Well, you know, the first thing that I see here is the angel was announcing joy for those who feel overlooked. Would you write that down? Have you ever felt overlooked? The shepherds were an overlooked segment of society. There was no glory in their job. Now, they were necessary because this was an agrarian culture, but there was no upward mobility in their jobs, and really, these people were treated like they weren't very valuable at all. But take a look here. Those shepherds were the very ones God chose first to hear the world-changing news that the Savior had been born. Now, what about in our society? Who among us might feel overlooked? Well, generally, there's probably no segment that's more overlooked than children. And this is the very thing that makes Fred Rogers such a winsome man. We're using him, like Ron has shared, as a kind of a template for our series. And when he looked into the lives of children, he saw that they were getting neglected and overlooked, and he would not stand for it. 
And as we watch Fred Rogers' investment in children, he showed us that we're not just responsible to teach the children, but that they have so much to teach us, right? Like we read about in Mark 10. It says, one day some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could bless them, touch them and bless them. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. When Jesus saw what was happening, he was angry with his disciples. He was ticked. He said to them, let the children come to me. Don't stop them for the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. See, this is why we make such a big deal of children here at Twin Cities. Jesus values children, and so do we. In fact, like Ron shared, their Christmas musical is happening today here at 4 o'clock, and I hope you'll be here. I'm so excited to hear them. You see, children have a story of their own. They have a message to share, and they're going to be the ones to go out into this broken world in the future and share the message of the love of Jesus. They are our future. But here, in this account, it was Jesus' own guys who were shushing the children. And Jesus says, no, bring them to the front. Don't get too busy or too serious to include them. Let's hear what they have to say. Let's elevate them. The simplicity of their trust, their honesty. You know, I got to hear Dallas Willard comment on this unpretentious side of kids. He said this way, Children haven't learned yet how to manage their faces. Hmm. Us big people, though, we we try to keep a lid on it, don't we? Many times, what we're actually feeling. Well, not kids. They let us see it. And I got to see a hilarious blog about this honesty in children. When they have a feeling, they share it. It's called Reasons My Kid Is Crying. Here it is in book form. See, the gravity of the situation here became the first page. Reasons my kid is crying, I broke this cheese in half. (laughs) Oh, what about this one? Reasons my kid is crying, they received new hats. I think I might cry if I had to wear that hat, right? Here's one. Reasons my kid is crying, we said she couldn't have more bacon. Now, that's real. I love my bacon. Reasons my kid is crying. We sang the happy birthday song to him. That could be pretty overwhelming. What about this one? Reasons my kid is crying. He met Bill Murray. Look at Bill Murray's face. (laughs) See, it's honesty. It's simplicity. It's a great starting place, isn't it? And that's what Mr. Rogers helped us see about children. He helped us see that when the kids are valuable... And when they cry, there's a reason, and that it's good to identify and validate those feelings. I love this quote. Maybe you've heard this before. Whatever is mentionable is manageable, is what he would say. See, joy doesn't mean that we deny when we hurt. So Fred Rogers dared to mention hard things. When other TV programming was about tossing cream pies in other people's faces... He didn't use shtick or fake humor. He just talked to the children about what they were experiencing, what they were seeing. He talked to them about death, for goodness sake. He had an episode I got to watch where he talked about his dog dying. He talked all about 
pain of different kinds. He talked with them about Bobby Kennedy's assassination, about the Vietnam War. He talked with them about 9-11. He helped kids think about the pain of divorce, about racial differences, and how that all people are the same no matter the color of their skin. Maybe you've noticed this about some people. I know I've seen this in myself. Maybe some folks are afraid to say the wrong thing, so they say nothing. Not Fred Rogers. He looked people, even children, in the eye, and he gave them a chance to share what they were thinking and feeling. He took a bold stand for them. You know, he even testified before the Senate for funding to keep public television going. See, he was saying the same thing that those angels were declaring that night when they appeared first to the shepherds, that these people are valuable, so don't overlook them, that they're precious to God. Now, those angels, when they made their announcement to the shepherds, they were proclaiming joy for someone else too, and it is this, joy for those who could feel like outcasts. Those shepherds weren't just overlooked. You see, they were actually outcasts because shepherding in that day was a despised occupation. In general, shepherds were considered to be dishonest and unclean according to the standards of the law. The rabbis considered them to be religious outcasts and sinners. In fact, their testimony wasn't even valid in a court of law. So, it's amazing to me that Jesus' arrival was announced first to the shepherds. They were the outcasts of society, but Jesus didn't categorize people, and neither did those angels who brought the news of his birth. And you see, the same joy is so evident when you watch how Fred Rogers elevated a group in our day who could feel like outcasts, and that is those with disabilities. It's so moving to watch Mr. Rogers relate to those kids who are in wheelchairs or those with braces on their bodies and to draw out their stories. He said this, people with disabilities help us be who we are because they are who they are. They have no pretense, he said. Now I want you to take a look at how he honors this boy who appeared on his show. Watch this. But it's you... I like every part of you, your skin, your eyes, your feelings, whether old or new. I hope that you remember, even when you're feeling blue, that it's you I like, it's you yourself. It's you, it's you, I like. And it is you I like, Jeff. Thanks. And there must be times when you do feel blue. Uh-huh. I'm not feeling blue right now, though. Me neither. <laughs> I'm so glad that you came today. Thanks. Isn't that sweet? I love how he included kids who had disabilities. In fact, I think there are two things that you and I can write down today that we can learn from Fred Rogers about 
relating to people with disabilities and what they actually do for us. The first is, it comes from his quote, they help us be who we are because they are who they are. You might want to write that down. You know, we got to host on December 1st the NCAD dance. Again, that stands for Nevada County Association of Developmentally Disabled. And it was the third time we got to have that amazing group from our community come to this facility that belongs to the Lord. And we had a blast. It was so great. If you want to learn how to be yourself, how to put away pretense, and how to make some friends really fast, I would invite you to come and get to know these people with special needs, either at a dance that we will continue to host or here on a Sunday morning. There are so many ways that we can share the love of Christ with these beautiful people who have such courage as we grow friendships with them. You know, Jesus elevated people with special needs, and we get to see him interact with different people in the social circles of his day. You know, he didn't categorize people. He said it this way, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. And so that's another thing we can learn from those with disabilities. And it's this, that they help us practice being like Jesus. I have a hero named Johnny Erickson Tata. Maybe you've heard me talk about her before. She spent the last 50 years in a wheelchair as a quadriplegic. And she's now in her second battle with cancer. And, you know, she's got a powerful message. She's read, written so much. She's spoken all over the world. She says not only is life with disability worth living, and by the way, she has fiercely opposed assisted suicide. But she says, also, God has a special place in his family for those who have special needs, for those who this culture might consider to be in inconvenient. She says, we need them to help us practice being like Jesus. At the dance on December 1st, I got to talk to a mom named Melanie who has a daughter in her 30s who has Down syndrome. And this mom is so real when she talks with me about life with her daughter. Her daughter not only has Downs, but she also has bipolar disorder that can make her go into a violent rage with her mom. And so on some days, this mom, Melanie, gets all bruised up. And she gets really sick and has very delicate health. And so she was telling me, Melanie told me about the night that it was raining and she was trying to get her daughter through a serious case of the flu. And she went outside to take the trash out and, and she was outdoors in the rain, in the dark, and she could hear her daughter coughing inside. And suddenly she felt that she did not have the strength to go back inside. And so she just sat down on the curb. And as she sat there, she saw a car coming, and, and as the headlights swung around and she recognized the car, she realized it was her friend, her neighbor. And her friend parked her car and got out and walked up to Melanie and put, just said, some people have all the fun. And she plopped down on the curb next to Melanie, and she started to talk with her. Well, pretty soon, another neighbor noticed, and she too came outside and sat on Melanie's other side. So now, here she was on a curb, in the rain, in the dark, with these friends on both sides. And you know what they talked about? Hairstyles. <laughs> they didn't ask what was going on because they didn't have to. 
They laughed together. They put their arms around Melanie. You know, she said that pretty soon she got up and she went back inside and she said to herself, I can do this. You know what that was? Joy to the world. In a, in a dark place, that was joy. Because the Lord made himself real to Melanie through those friends. We've been talking in the series about God being incarnate. That means Jesus coming down to our level, God on our level, God in the flesh. Well, those friends who sat down on that curb next to Melanie, they became tangible evidence to her that God is incarnate, that she wasn't alone, that he sees her. And people whose lives are really hard like this, it might be people who have special needs or people with mental illness or people that are out on the streets or folks that are incarcerated in jail. They give us a chance to be Jesus with skin on. That's joy to the world, joy in this world. So I ask you today, who do you know that might need you to sit down in the dark with them? This joy is available for those who might feel overlooked and for those who might feel like outcasts. But you know who else? Joy is here for you. That joy that the angel announced in Bethlehem is joy for anyone who is open to it. Write that down. Anyone who's open to it. See, this baby who was being announced... He didn't stay a baby when that angel said, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. Do you know what was such good news about it? He grew up to be a man who showed us how to live. Now, what kind of a guy was Jesus? I think many people perceive Jesus as being all serious, rather joyless, really, all about imparting rules. After all, he was God, and you know, righteousness is serious business, right? Well, uh, you know, I think many people miss Jesus being a man of joy. This is my favorite rendering of Jesus. I wish I knew the name of the painter, but I have that image on my desktop because it reminds me of his joy that is available to me. And I like the quote from C.S. Lewis where he said, Joy is the serious business of heaven. See, Jesus was the kind of guy who welcomed little children. He rejoiced with his disciples. Remember the 72 when they came back reporting they had seen Satan fall? I mean, Jesus wasn't a killjoy. He partied with outcasts. He was offering joy to anyone who was open to it. Do you see Jesus as joyful? Here's how I know. It's in John 17. This happened just hours before Jesus would go to the cross to complete his purpose. And Jesus is praying this powerful prayer for you and me to his father. And this is what he says to God. These things I speak. Okay, take your pen. Would you underline, I speak? We'll come back to that. These things I speak in the world that they may have, watch this, my joy fulfilled in themselves. His joy, think about this. It's startling. I mean, here he is at the doorstep of his own death through the cruelest form of execution that was known in that day. Now, if it was you, would you be talking about joy? Would you be thinking about anybody else at all? 
And here, he's not just casually referring to joy for you. He's praying for this full, overflowing, complete kind of joy of his for you. You know, it's pretty normal in this world to think that joy means getting all my circumstances lined up, right? So we tend to see our lives being being made up of peaks and valleys. That joy is only possible when we're on a mountaintop. But you know, those experiences, they're so fleeting. That's actually happiness. Getting control of your life so that you keep all your circumstances favorable. Now, I want to know, did you hear about the people that were invited in Southern California to a private launch of a new brand of high-end shoes? I mean, this was a party for only those with discriminating taste and lots of money. And these people were shown this new brand and asked to say what they would pay for these shoes. And one gal was all excited about these gold sneakers with leopard print. And she said, oh my, I would pay like 400, 500 for them. I mean, people are going to be going, oh, where did you get those? They're amazing. And after these people bought these overpriced shoes, then the whole thing was revealed. Palessi shoes that they were looking at was actually a hoax from pay less shoes. Yes. That gal, what do you think? Did that happiness last? I mean, she may have called it joy, but she was actually getting a lift from the illusion of status. That wasn't joy. That was a moment of happiness that must have been rather fleeting when she saw the big picture. Well, see, the world believes that joy is found in the adrenaline rush, being on a mountaintop. Well, what about when you don't have favorable circumstances? What happens then? Are you doomed? to unhappiness, even depression? No, joy is available to you, no matter your circumstances, because joy is not based on circumstances. Look at verse 13 again. When Jesus prayed, at the end of that verse, he says, may my joy be fulfilled in them. You know what he's saying? He's saying you have a capacity for his joy, that your joy isn't based on circumstances, but he's also, listen, praying about how vulnerable your joy is. Look at verse 14. I have given them your word. Would you underline your word? And then he says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world. You know what that would be? If you were taken out of the world, that would be having your circumstances all fixed up. He says, no, I'm not praying for that, but that you keep them and protect them from the evil one. See, Jesus is praying for you. Not that all the details of your life will be easy and perfect. He prayed for you about living in this broken world. And he's praying for you too about your enemy, Satan. He's saying that there really is indeed a devil And he's praying about these joy robbers that the enemy, the devil, wants to use. You know, the inconvenience of getting sick. Or how many of us like traffic? Is that a fun one? That's a joy robber. How about long lines? How about the close talker at the party? Oh, hi, how you doing? The one with bad breath. Oh, good to meet you, too. Yeah. See, the EGRs, the extra grace required folks. We all have them. But Jesus is praying that your joy won't be undaunted, will be undaunted by the joy 
robbers that your enemy wants to use to derail you. What Jesus is actually dealing with here is the vulnerability of your joy. Brene Brown talks about this. She's a research professor at the University of Houston Graduate College of Social Work, and she spent years studying joy and vulnerability. And she says to experience real joy, you have to lean in to vulnerability. And this is her quote, joy is the most vulnerable emotion we experience. If you cannot tolerate joy, she says, you start, listen, dress rehearsing tragedy. Now, what's that? Well, think of your mind like a stage, right? You get to decide what is allowed on the stage of your mind. How many of you ever ever had this overwhelming feeling of joy, like, whoa, and then you begin to dress, rehearse uh, what horrible thing could come and steal this away? I mean, like, have you ever stood over your child while they're sleeping and you think, oh, I love you so much, and then you begin to think about some horrible thing that could happen? Or maybe it's, what if I can't find a job? It's all the what ifs. What if when I start my new job, I can't deliver? Or what if my, my child goes to this new school and they can't make any friends? Now, listen, how many times do we complete those questions with some joyful scene in our mind? See, Satan is out to steal our joy. And for me today, it could be this. What if you don't like my talk and you leave here Bored and joyless, but having completed your grocery list. (laughs) See, I can question my own value. Satan is out to steal our joy. But here's the thing. The full measure of who we are is only experienced when we're vulnerable. The best in any one of us is only available when we put ourselves out there in a vulnerable way. And as we look at John 17, who was ever as vulnerable as Jesus is in this very moment as he faced the cross, yet he focuses on the joy that was set before him. In Hebrews 12, it's described this way, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. You might be thinking, what joy could have been set before him? Well, it's you. It's the prospect of having you with him for eternity. That was the joy set before Jesus. He was vulnerable. And you know what? Vulnerability is an interesting kind of strength. Brene talks about people in her study who did have this capacity for joy, and they they did get these feelings of, whoa, they felt vulnerable. But you know what? Instead of feeling like, oh, I'm going to start dress rehearsing tragedy now, what they did was they used that feeling as a prompt to practice gratitude like Dave talked about earlier. Gratitude takes practice. You know, Ron and I have been talking about this a lot, about how it pays off. And some of you have joined the gratitude challenge with us. You've been looking online. You don't have to post anything. You Perhaps you've been practicing this, and you can feel it too, that when you practice gratitude, it begin, begins to be more automatic. And joy happens on the heels of gratitude. For you and me, if vulnerability is an interesting kind of strength, then joy is an act of courage. It's a willingness to believe and embrace the truth of who Jesus is. That his full measure of joy will transcend whatever circumstance that we're walking through. 
that sorrow can coexist with joy, that the evil one will not overwhelm us with his joy-stealing thoughts of what if. It's joy for all who are open to it. I'd like to look back at our definition again. It said, joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life. You know what that is? A settled assurance rather than an adrenaline rush. And it's based in the knowledge that God uses all things for good for your life when you love him. And then it says that joy is quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right. You know what that is? Being okay with vulnerability, leaning into it. Joy is the determined choice to praise God in all things. And that is simply practicing gratitude. You know, for me, it's so powerful to hear someone share their experience. So I want you to hear from this woman as she talks about joy that is undaunted by her circumstances and how it actually grew because of her circumstances. I married very, very young. In eighth grade, we were together and ended up marrying right out of high school. We couldn't wait to serve God together, which we did uh, for 28 years and um, had many, many great years, three children, and, and then that marriage ended. I had always felt like I could navigate anything married. And I had to walk up and touch that one thing that I thought would just kill me if I ever had to give that up. What I found in that moment was that God met me there and he carried me through that incredibly dark time. I continued trusting that he had a plan. And as my children all married and I had grandchildren, one of my greatest blessings came four years ago when the last of my eight grandchildren was born. Um, my daughter, Michelle, had three boys, and this was her last, her girl, and we were so excited waiting for the arrival of this new baby. And she called me that night from the hospital to say, Mother, something's not right. In naming this precious baby, uh, Michelle chose a name, Eden Grace. And Eden was chosen because that's the place where brokenness entered our world. Seeing the baby and after the testing was done, it was confirmed that Eden had Down syndrome. Um, I, felt, I felt devastated for my daughter. Uh, I didn't know what a special needs child would mean for her. Eden Grace is a perfect example of where brokenness and grace have come together in an amazing way. And she has truly become one of the greatest joys of my life. It's a gift that God gave me that I didn't think I wanted. I didn't, and yet the source of my deepest joy. Um, as she's pre-verbal and learning to talk, everything is a celebration every word, every, just the joy that comes from watching her discover and grow. If you were a boat, my darling, a boat, my darling, I'd be 
YouTube back. <laughs> In life, I have learned that through it all, through every dark night, through every storm, through every difficulty, God has met me right where I'm at. He has carried me through and brought me to a place of peace and even joy. And I am grateful for that foundation that was laid into my life early on that has made all the difference. That marriage that felt like it was the end can turn out to be a new beginning. And that birth that feels like a heartache can become the greatest gift of all. It all depends on where your foundation is. You remember our theme verse? Starting then, I had you underline some words, and I'd like to ask you to just peek back at them for a moment. In our theme verse, it was the word became flesh and blood. And then in John 17, we underlined, these things I speak. And then we underlined, I have given them your word. I want to ask you, do you see a connection here? The word, the utterance of God, what he's given to you. You see, the theme is the bottom line. If I want joy to be the atmosphere of my life, if I want to experience joy, I need to build my foundation on the word. That's Jesus. It's what's going to set you apart when the storm comes into your life. Jesus goes on with his prayer in verse 17. He says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Would you underline your word is truth? You see, it's your, it's your bedrock. It's your foundation. Now, what about that churchy-sounding word, sanctify? You know what that means? Jesus is praying that you will be set apart, that your life will be distinctive because you will not be undone by sorrow and trials. You see, with all these circumstances in, that come up in our lives, the good and the bad, the delight and the sorrow, you get to choose what you're going to focus on because joy is possible as an act of courage if you've built your life on the word. You know, we live in a world where natural disasters come. We started out referring to the wildfire. and Where Ron came from, there were tornadoes. Where I come from, there are hurricanes. And of course, in California, we've seen earthquakes. Natural disasters give us a picture of the sorrows that can take us by storm. And I want to leave you with a picture. This is about earthquakes. And I heard John Ortberg talking about what a marvel the Golden Gate Bridge is with its south pier resting directly on the fault line of the San Andreas Fault. He says, why would any sane person go on that bridge? Well, here's a good reason. Every part of that bridge, the roadway, the railings, the great cross beams, are all related with a cable system to two great towers that are deeply embedded into the rock foundation underneath the sea. If an earthquake comes, it can sway 22 feet in the center of the roadway and not fall down. 
the bridge is totally preoccupied with its foundation. That is its secret strength. And Jesus is saying here, the strength of your joy, of your life, your capacity for joy, it's built with indestructible materials. When you keep coming back day by day, hour by hour to the word of God, to Jesus, who is the word, and his promises spoken to you in these pages. You know, every time you open your Bible, you are laying a firmer foundation for your soul. It's what's going to safeguard your joy, and it's going to equip you to bring joy into your own corner of this hurting world. Jesus said it this way to his father, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. You see, right here in the world is where he wants you for today. In the world, for the world. You are his light. You're his incarnate presence. You are his joy. God wants you and me to show up for others like Jesus showed up for us. How how did Jesus show up? Humble, kind, and most of all, full of joy. Let's talk to the Lord together. Lord, we're just so grateful for how practical and how present you make your word for us. Thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for letting us see in flesh and blood what you are like, God. Thank you for making our Bibles in our very hands available to us that we can study, we can get to know you better, we can walk out every day with you because you know how vulnerable we are, you know what we've been through, what we're facing right now, or what's just around the corner. And we ask you to help us hold your hand tighter than ever before, and that we truly would be undaunted by the joy robbers that try to come in. Lord, we thank you that as you are joy incarnate for us, that we get to be you in front of others. We thank you for this privilege this very Christmas We ask you to shine your joy through us. In the strong name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.